Welcome to Habakkuk and Hebrew Club. Two more weeks to go in the, in the quarter. This week and next week we'll meet, and then we'll have a two-week break. And then we'll come back in spring quarter and finish whatever we need in Habakkuk and start something new for the spring quarter. Um, we're kind of starting uh, Chapter 3 today, which is, uh, I would think, the highlight of the whole book. Uh, you will see it's a beautiful prayer of Habakkuk and uh, shows a very definite change in attitude, I would say, from um, where he was in the first part of the book, all right? And notice <coughs> how it's labeled. Uh, verse 1, we'll start right out. Tefillah lachavakuk hanavial shigionot. And tefillah knows the word for prayer. So we're to read this as Habakkuk's prayer. It's very interesting because remember in the chapter 2, he said, I'm going to stand on my rampart and wait to see what God's going to say to me, then I'm going to, uh, then what will I say to him at his rebuke? So there wasn't any prayer kind of in his thinking until he heard what Yahweh had to say. So here's the prayer. Now notice the Lamed here. This is, this is one of the reasons why the, the titles of the Psalms, they always have Le David. Here's one of the reasons or evidences that they use to suggest that that's a Lamed of authorship. Uh, because here, prayer by Habakkuk or of Habakkuk, all right? And since it's connected with the book, it seems like a logical uh, conclusion, all right? Hanavi, the prophet. <clears throat> then again, you have this al-shigyonot. Notice the word shigyonot. No one's <coughs> quite sure what this is. Probably refers to um, some kind of a melody or a way that the thing is to be played. Some suggest that it is a, uh, um, uh, an uneven kind of meter or beat to it, but really no one knows. So a lot of English translations will simply trans transpose the Hebrew letters into English. Shigyanot, that's what it is. All right, so there's the title. Right, because the hot right, because you have the hot half next to it, and so yeah, so it's just the way doing it. All right, good. Any other questions? All right, the psalm itself now. Yahweh shamati shimaka, yareti Yahweh paalaka, bekerav shanim chayehu, bekerav shanim todia, beroges rachim tiskor. All right, O Yahweh shamati. I have heard Shimka. I have heard your report. Uh, taken to refer to the rest of chapter two. See, I've heard your report. Yareti. Um, I am afraid. Yara. See, I'm afraid. Perfect. I'm afraid, O Yahweh, of Pa'aleka, of your work. This is where you get the verb, the, you know, when you parse the uh, Hebrew verb pa'al. Here it is. Here's the uh, noun to it. Po'el pa'aleka. Okay, so I'm afraid, O oh Lord, of your work. And notice um, that, again, it's in reference to what he says he's going to do in chapter 2, if we're reading this as part of the prophecy of Habakkuk. Now you have this unusual expression, bekerev shanim. Bekerev is in the middle of, and it occur, you know, it's a common expression, usually in the middle of the war, in the middle of the people, in the middle of some place. Here, it's unique in that it has in the middle of this time. See, shanim means years. So, bekerev shanim, 
very woodenly it'd be in the middle of years, which doesn't make much sense. I really like what the JPS translation does. It, I think it makes an equation between Bekerev and Be'etzem. Be'etzem is used with time to mean on this very day. So <clears throat> Moses gave the command, Be'etzem Hayom, on this very day. So it'd be something like that in these self-same years, you see, in this very present time, see. Chayehu, um, <clears throat> this is a uh, piel imperative from Chaya, to preserve alive or keep something alive or restore it. So in, in these very years, restore it, third masculine singular suffix, again referring back to the report and the word that he has heard in verse 1. In these self-same years, todia. Can anyone see what the root of todia is? From yada, conjugation. Hifil, to make known. So notice uh, this is very common in, in uh, prophet and poetry, the switch from the imperative to an imperfect, but we would still, I mean, almost universally give it an imperative force. All right, and uh, so what the difference of meaning, you'd be hard-pressed to see the significance in the meaning. So um, in these self-same years, in these very years, keep it alive or restore it. In these self-same years, make it known. Berogez, all right? In rogez, you know the root ragaz, which means to be agitated, to be in turmoil. So in agitation, and again, this is taken to refer to God, God's attitude. So in your anger, sometimes it's translated, but in your agitation, tis core. Remember, call imperfect from zakar, okay, and again has the same force as the imperfect todia. So I'm again translating it with an imperative force. Um, basically what he's doing is requesting here, though he's not making a command, right? He's not making a command to God anymore, he's requesting. So in your <coughs> rogues, in your agitation, remember Rachem, Piel, infinitive from Racham. In your agitation, remember to have mercy or to show mercy. All right? So notice again the, um, the imperative, imperfect, imperfect. So you kind of have a switch in verbs there that's already signaling. I think sometimes it signals the end of a unit or the switch to a new thought's coming. Um, that's not always the case, but uh, here I think you make a case for it. Okay, any questions through verse 2? Well, uh, I'm sorry, what was the antecedent of Chayehu? Yeah, <coughs> the third masculine singular um, suffix there is referring to either the report in verse 2 or the pa'al, the work. <coughs> See, so, O Lord, I've heard your report. I fear your work. In this very time, restore it. In these very years, make it known. And remember, Yahweh said that it's coming soon at the beginning of chapter 2. And then he gives that oracle. So Right. I think in different, it, it includes elements of awe, but also sometimes real terror, depending on the context. Um, so here, probably that sense of of awestruck at what he sees and what he 
it's what he has heard. So in this sense, there is, I, I would say, an undercurrent of real fear, what we would think of as fear and terror as well. It's seeing the power of Yahweh and his wrath poured out. If you remember that those oracles in chapter 2, Yahweh was not a very nice God. And so notice that last line of verse 2, in your rogues, remember to have mercy. What a great line, see? Notice what Habakkuk is pleading for mercy, that Yahweh, when he's pouring out his wrath, remember his rachem as well, see? And that's how the prayer is going to unfold. Right? We could talk probably a lot about the theology of Yahweh to show mercy in the midst of his wrath. See, kind of like what Moses asked Yahweh to do when the people sinned. Remember how angry Yahweh was? Okay. Okay, verse 3. Eloah miteman yavo ve kadosh mehar paran selah. Kisa shamaim hodo utehilato mala haaretz. Okay, Kevin, this is the line. This is an important verse. And I wanna, I'm going to translate it and then tell you why, because I'm making kind of an important move here. I'm going to translate um, that first prefix verb with a past tense, and then I'm going to explain to you why, my own argument for it, although not every translation will do that. You will see throughout this section this switch from perfects to imperfects that you very often see in uh, poetry, especially the quotes older poetry. Okay, so O oh God, um, O oh God, I'm sorry, God from Teman, Teman, namely the south, Yavo came. Okay, so I'm translating as a preterite form. And the Holy One from Mount Paran came, Selah. Kissa, here's a perfect. See, Pl from Kassa. Um, <clears throat> his glory, Hodo, covered Shamaim, the heavens. And Tehilato, his praise, Mala, filled the earth. <laughs> okay. Now, what, here's the, the reason I'm translating this as past tense, because what I think it's doing, and I want to show you some parallel passages so you can see this. This, <coughs> this passage is a famous passage that is in parallel with Deuteronomy 33, a passage in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, which is Moses' final blessing to Israel. And also Judges 5, verse 4, the Song of Deborah. And um, what I think he's referring to then is, this is uh, the language of theophany, the language of God's appearing as a divine warrior on behalf of his people. So remember when um, Israel was in captivity, you have this appearance of Yahweh as a warrior to free them. And then he appeared on Mount Sinai. And he appeared with them in the desert and as they were preparing to go into the desert, all right? And so Habakkuk is picking up on that theme to remind Israel of its past. And once then in this prayer to think about what's happening to Israel and going to happen to them in their immediate future in terms of what he has done for them in the past. I think it's important because a lot of modern scholars look at a verse like this and suggest that the concept of Yahweh, the God Yahweh with a small g, originated somewhere from the south, okay, in connection with Edom or something like that. In other words, that Israel appropriated the God of another country, um, Edom, all right? But I think Driver and other commentaries make a better argument that this is the language of theophany. 
So I just want to show you these other passages. So turn to Deuteronomy 33 <coughs> so you guys can keep these in mind, and you'll see immediate similarities. So we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 33 and um, <coughs> verse 2. So notice uh, in verse 1 you have the introduction, and Moses is about to bless Israel. And Vayomer, and he said, Yahweh misinai ba, Yahweh came from Sinai. Vezarach, and he shone, again the language of theophany. He shone from Seir to them. Um, Seir, again, is in the south, okay, the south part of Edom which is, remember, southeast of Israel. So it's kind of showing his march from Sinai to Edom and then to southern Judah. Here as you get the next one. Um, Hophia, see, <coughs> he again shined from Mount Paran. So notice, so notice those three terms. Sinai, he came. He shone from Seir. Again, he shone or shined out from Paran. Sinai, Seir, Paran in no particular order, no systematic kind of distinction. But it's a way of Moses recalling to the people God's great acts and appearance for them in the past. All right? So notice that language, and now go to um, Judges, <coughs> chapter 5. <coughs> this is, remember, Deborah's song. All right, after uh, the great victory that Israel had. Judges chapter 5, verse 4. Notice the language. Yahweh Betzetaka, when you came from, see that term, Seir, Betzadeka, when you stepped from the fields of Edom, Eretz Rasha, the land shook, even the heavens dripped, also clouds dripped water, the mountains um, Nazlu flowed, melted maybe, before Yahweh. This is Sinai, before Yahweh, the God of Israel. All right, so notice again, Deborah is picking up on that kind of language to describe Yahweh. So here in Habakkuk, notice this passage then. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. I'm suggesting that he's referring back, and that's why I'm translating this in past tense. All right, and I'm doing it on the basis of its connection with these other passages that are describing these events. So notice Habakkuk is using this language that, that um, we assume others in Israel knew and will recall something about the nature of Yahweh and his great deeds of salvation for them. Does anyone have any other questions or comments about that? Jim? Would there be uh, in that, if that's uh, an understood way of talking, would there be any significance to the imperfect aspect there? Well, <coughs> see, again, that, that's, a, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what you see when you look at poetry is sometimes this switch is not uncommon between the perfects and imperfects. <coughs> now, remember, the prefix verb, something you may not learn in Hebrew 1, in older texts can have this preterite, simple past meaning. We see it with vav consecutives all the time, and in some older poetry, the same meaning occurs without. Now, some translations will translate this all as present tense. 
and they're doing it because they're interpreting it more as this is a habitual action or characteristic of God. God is the one who comes from Teman, whose glory fills the earth, uh, etc. And that is um, not an impossible translation. All right. So you, it, it depends on how you view the situation that's being described. All right. But you'll see through here. So notice, uh, so we have an imperfect. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Perfect. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Perfect. Now verse 4. See, venogach kaor tihya. See, karnaim miyadolo vesham chevyon uza. Okay, so noga, noga is brightness. Notice the imperfect, tih, yeah, see? Um, so his brightness uh, or brightness, there was brightness like ore, like light. See? Again, I'm suggesting that this is a theophany, God showing himself. Karnaim, Karen is the word for horns, but here when it's referring to light, it means rays of light. See? Rays from his hand um, for him. All right? So something like um, rays kind of of light were from his hand. All right? And there, sham, chevyon. This is an interesting word. It's a noun for hiding. The um, verb chava, chet, bait, aleph, Remember in, in Genesis 3 when, they, when the man and the woman hid themselves, chava, hit chabe. This is a noun based on that root. So, and there, um, uh, uzo, this is from the word oz, which means strength. Now look at the ending. This is an interesting ending. This is the third masculine singular suffix. How is the third masculine singular suffix usually written in Hebrew? With a, with a vav, remember, like suso. That's how you learn it, suso. <clears throat> but in certain poetic texts, the third masculine suffix is not written with a vav, marked with a vav, but with a hey. Genesis 49, good case in point, the blessing to Joseph. And again, it's suggested that this is an archaic feature. So it means his strength, uzo, his strength. So, and there, his strength was chevyon, was in a hiding place. See, it's very interesting that you have this revelation of God and yet this covering, see? So notice the juxtaposition of uh, brightness was as a light, um, rays from his hand, and yet Uzo, his strength there was chevyon, in a hiding place. See how interesting that is? And again, theologically very significant for us as to how Yahweh um, is this transcendent God who also reveals himself, you know, so he kind of in, in a part revealed his glory, but even then um, there is a hiddenness to him. All right. Um, good. Any questions through four? Again, we're going to keep track of the, of the tenses of the verbs we're seeing. Kyle. Well, not necessarily with the hay. The hay is just a marker for the third masculine singular suffix, his strength. But the whole, this whole reference in verses 3 and 4 to Teman was part of their religious understanding of Yahweh so that when he uses this language, it would recall the blessing to Moses 
and the Song of Deborah, and again, the whole story, the story of God's um, uh, marvelous, um, yeah, theophanies and appearances on Israel's behalf, right? So, so, the, so again, we can't spend a lot of time on the theology of this poem, but it's, it's really powerful, and you'll see it as we go through here even more, okay? Verse 5, Lefanav yelek daver, before him, Yelek, perfect or imperfect? See, imperfect. Davar means a plague. It's, okay, so before him, <clears throat> a plague went and came, this is from Yatsa, notice, perfect or imperfect? Vav plus imperfect, see? And Reshef, again, another word for plague. Davar, Dever, and Reshef are synonyms. All right, um, came out at his feet. And again, you could translate all of these verbs in present tense. I'm not going to say that you can't do that, just depending on how you see this thing referring and the situation that he's referring to. All right. All right. Now notice he switches back in verse 6. Ahmad vayemoded eretz ra'avayater goyim vayit Potzu harare ad shahu givot olam halikot olam li. All right. He stood and he, I'm sorry, he stood and um, the earth shook. This is from a, normally parsed is from this rare word, mem vav dalit, a poleal of it, which means to shake or to tremble. Vayemode. So notice he goes from perfect to vav consecutive, imperfect. He looked ra'a. Again, perfect, followed by vav, consecutive, vayater goyim. And he, this is from the root natar, natar, to, um, and natar in the call means to, to, you know, start, to be startled. So in the hifil, this is the hifil form, yan ter. He looked and he made the nations startled, startled. He startled the nations, you might want to say, Okay. Vayit potsetsu, from patsats hit polel, and the mountains harare, the mountains ad, the mountains of eternity, and the eternal mountains um, again broke apart, patsats. All right, now notice the hit pile is intransitive. Shachu, um, this is from shachah to, shachah to bow down. The hills of eternity, see the everlasting hills bowed down down all right so the mountains eternal mountains broke apart the everlasting hills bowed down holly coat the eternal courses and now you have to understand bowed down to him see that word holly coat what's the root halak and so here's the noun a plural noun based on the same root it means pathways or ways courses all right so again he stood the earth yemodade, trembled. He looked and he caused the nations to start. The mountains of the earth broke, patsats. The everlasting hills bowed down. The eternal courses bowed down to him, low. All right. So again, notice it's asserting Yahweh's power over nature. Questions through six. Yeah, Will. Can I ask you guys two questions? Um, why, does it, why does it have an extra 
Ah, uh, good question. I should ask Kevin this question, but yeah, um, that's a very good question. The normal plural of har is harim, but again, a lot of poetic texts you have this reduplication of this form, which some suggest is a dialectic feature, more common in Aramaic. Again, in older poetic texts, you get both archaic features and dialectical features more frequently. It's a style of Hebrew. Um, the scholars that I really like to look at have, have really studied this, suggested it's a style that um, certain writers used in poetry and is more indicative maybe of, a, of a, a more older kind of poetry, you know, that in spoken or colloquial Hebrew and also um, as a style of writing, some felt freer to use dialectical and archaic forms in their writing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, see, so you get that. And De Deuteronomy 33 has a lot of dialectical <coughs> stuff in it as well, all right? Um, so here you're getting that too, so the eternal mountains bow down. Yeah, so you will see that alternate spelling. Good, we'll do one more verse. Takaravan ra'iti. Um, now, well, here, I'll, 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 let me read it first. Ahale Kushan Yirgazun Yeriot Eretz Midyan. Okay, under iniquity, Avan, I saw the Ahale um, Kushan. I saw the tents of Kush under iniquity, Tachat Avan. Does everybody see that? So under iniquity, I saw Raiti, the Ahale Kushan, the tents of Kush. All right. Yirgazu from Ragaz. All right. Either they were shaking or they shook, Yeriot, the, cu the curtains, Yeriot, of the land of Midian shook or were shaking. All right. Now, see, my question that I still have is, is he switching from um, <coughs> his, his description of what happened in the past now to what's going to happen? Or is he still in the past? Just what's the relationship between verses two through six and verses seven and following, see? What I think he wants you to do is see God's judgments um, on the foreign nations in line with his other acts of salvation earlier in history. So you're kind of keeping both of those things in your mind as you go through this prayer, all right? Um, so we'll have to kind of face that question again uh, as we go through the rest of this thing, and we'll get as far as we can next week, all right? All right, great, guys. Thanks very much for coming. No, no problem. <coughs>